Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We have this morning already considered Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43, about the thief on the cross. And we have already read Colossians chapter 2 again, and I hope you read it last evening. I want to read to you the first, the middle section of this chapter, Colossians chapter 2. The middle section is found in verses 10 through 15, and so I read that section to you now. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Amen and amen. You read Colossians chapters 1 and 2 of this epistle in preparation last night. And I want you to know it well. I want you to know chapter 2 well. You have heard the first chapter read to you this morning. And now I've just read these verses to you. I will go ahead today, not my ordinary way of preaching, but I'll tell you where I'm going because I'm not going to stray very far from it, and you better be comfortable in your seating. You are complete in Him. Right. You are complete in Him. Right. And you ought to be saying to yourself, I am complete in Him. Right. And that is what we will work over from every angle that Colossians chapter 2 will give us. You are complete in Him. Outside of Him, you are an incomplete, wrecked wretch. Or wretched wreck. You have nothing outside Him. For anything that you can claim to be decent or good, I'll find a million far better. You have nothing. You are worthless and hopeless outside of Him. But in Him, you are complete. Luke 23, with the words, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the answer, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise, were not merely written for Theophilus. They were not merely written for Luke, who penned the words. They were written for us to know that if we make such a cry, the Lord Jesus will respond the same way. Because we are complete in Him. 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Amen. For with the heart, confession is made into salvation, and with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. That's Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to turn over there, and I'm glad that I have forgotten it to a degree. And some of you will understand why I say that. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And in its corresponding texts, like Romans 9.33, and like 1 Peter 2.6, and this is taken from the Old Testament, he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Nothing bad can ever happen to you if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today because you are complete in him. Amen. You are complete in him. These verses... Verses 10 through 15 describe what God did for you through Jesus Christ so that you are complete in Him. And no one can pluck you out of His hand. Not these little principalities and powers of Satan and his fallen devilish angels. They can't take you out of His hand because the verse that says you're complete says, which is the head of all principalities and powers. Jesus is the head of them. Jesus has defeated them. Jesus made an open show of them on the cross of Calvary. They thought they had him dead to rights. They had him dead to salvation for us and dead to condemnation for them. Amen. Because when he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit and gave up the ghost, the power that the devil had over us was broken by the graves being opened, by there being an earthquake that tore the rocks. Because Jesus has defeated the devil. But that isn't my point today. My point today is for you to say, I am complete in him. Amen. There is nothing lacking, nothing needed. No one can tell you you haven't done something you must do. No one can tell you something you have done is going to sink you into hell. Because it's all been covered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. I am complete in him. I preach this chapter to you, those that were here then, 16 years ago. It took three sermons to preach the chapter to you. Today it's one. So I suggested that you be comfortable. We are in an expositional series of sermons from Isaiah, and we're going to put them on hold. I have no interest in Sennacherib, Hezekiah, Rabshakeh, or the rest of that stuff right now. Uh, we've covered that thoroughly, and the Lord knows we love the story of Assyrians, over, Assyria's overthrow by Hezekiah and the angel of the Lord. And we will get to it next Sunday, and I will preach it as nearly as passionate as I will preach today. <laughs> we want to focus on Jesus Christ our Lord, right. and I should be an able minister of the New Testament. Right. We recently gloried as men. Do you remember the men's meeting with Colossians chapter 1 and the long sentence in there? from 9 through 17, and we profited. And our souls were blessed by all that's contained in that one long sentence of Colossians 1, 9 through 17. But we baptized five a week ago, whose wonderful testimonies we heard four days ago. 
We're going to have communion with them today. And it's time for us to remember the Lord's death. Our church and our lives must be all about Him. For who He is and what He has done and why any contrary message is lying deceit Amen. and a fraud. And there's lots of warnings in Colossians chapter 2 that false teachers will try to take away your completeness in Christ. They want to accuse you of sins that are not paid for by Him. They want to require things of you that you don't have to do to have eternal life. Because you are complete in Him. Your assurance, your confidence, your excitement, your praise for salvation should be feverish. And if it isn't, it is a fault. It is a sin on your part that you ought to confess and ask the Lord like David did in Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Yet at the same time, we must heed Bible warnings of heretics trying to steal our reward. Our reward is unconditional eternal life. And they want to take it away by laying conditions on us. For serious Bible students, my young men, my older men, Ephesians and Colossians are fraternal twins for comparison. And if you read with understanding, you will have already seen similar verses in Colossians 1 and 2 to what you can read in Ephesians. We are accused by enemies and by the ignorant of being legalists. Though our doctrine of unconditional eternal life that we establish by seven categories of proof is the farthest thing possible from legalism. Unbelievable. Those that use the term cannot understand it, nor could they spell it in a spelling bee. Legalism, properly defined, are man-made rules to get to heaven. We don't have any man-made rules to get to heaven. Amen. Our entrance into heaven is entirely by the unconditional grace of God through the sole finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. and Him only. Amen. We know the gift of eternal life is unconditional. They want to call us legalists because they don't understand the term and because they want to use a slur description for anyone that cares about the details of the Bible because they live in a compromising generation and they do not like us because we make them feel guilty. And amen. They should feel guilty. You are complete in Christ. There is nothing to be added. Nothing can be taken away. Nothing has been taken away. Nothing will be taken away. You are complete in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be complete? It means to be perfect. The word complete only occurs in the New Testament two times. Once right here, 2.10. And ye are complete in Him. And in this epistle, chapter 4 and verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Right. To be complete is to have all required items, nothing lacking, nothing needed. To be entire, full, realized in full extent, perfect in nature or quality, without defect, fully equipped or endowed. Complete 
to make it simple, is to be perfect and you don't need a single thing. You are complete. Nothing else needs to be done for you. Nothing else needs to be added to what he's done. No one can tell you, you've got to do this. No one can tell you, but you did that. All of it is irrelevant because you are complete in him. You are completely righteous in him. You are completely forgiven in him. You are completely holy in him. You are completely unblameable, unreprovable in him. You're, you're perfect. You say, I don't live perfectly every He knows that. That's why he sent his son to die for you. Because you're still complete in him. Just confess it for restoration of fellowship. You don't even have to confess it to be complete in him. You're still complete in him because he died for those sins. He buried those sins. I think he said he blotted them out. I think he said he got them out of the way for you. I think he said he nailed them to the cross for you. You are complete in him. There isn't a better sentence that I can give you today for you to face life. I am complete in him. You can go to work. I am complete in him. You can manage your marriage the way that you should. I am complete in him. You can face surgery. I am complete in him. You can face sickness. I am complete in him. You can face death. I am complete in him. I am complete in him. Because that's why he died. And that's why he had Paul write Colossians chapter 2 for us. Because you're complete in him. Your existence, your existence includes this little life, but it is nothing more than a momentary vapor. Here, gone. Even this life tears people to shreds and to suicide. For they are altogether incomplete. You should be able to handle anything. I am complete in Christ. Do I need to have you stand and say it with me ten times? Trust me, I have thought about it, and I'm thinking about it strongly right now. But I still have my limits. I'd like to get over some of them. I am complete in Christ. It's written here for a reason for us. And the whole chapter surrounding it is for you to know that you're complete. So that if anybody comes with philosophy or vain tradition or worship of self-denial, you can mock at them and let no man judge you in anything because you are complete in him. Your future, which is only moments away, includes meeting God for your eternal destiny. We read about the thief having his destiny confirmed to him. I'm confirming your destiny to you. You are complete in him. Nothing can happen to you. Before I'm done, you'll know that I have confirmed your destiny to you. I am complete in him. You are not complete any other way. Some of you only have one lung. That is not complete Some of us are only 5'9". That is not complete. My growing stopped. We are not complete. But in Christ we are complete. We are complete in every way that we want to be complete. 
Here's the problem. You're not complete. This is the damnable condition that you're in. You're not complete. Some of you have pitiful little pancreases that don't produce insulin. You're not complete. But in Christ, we're complete. You take tests, scholastic tests at school. You take driving tests. You actually get terrified driving to the DMV for a driving test. You take tests of many kinds, and you go to the voting booth, and you vote with very incomplete knowledge of the facts. You do not know the candidates. You do not know what they're going to do. You do not know all the questions, even on a stupid driving test that was designed for morons. You say, how do you know that? Look around while you're driving. You take tests of all kinds. You say, well, once upon a time, I got 100% in a test. That's because the teacher downgraded it for you. You're incomplete. You have incomplete knowledge in every subject, in every part of your life. But the test of life, death, and then judgment should terrify you of being incomplete. I do not want to approach life incomplete. I do not want to think and have a worldview that is incomplete outside of Christ. And I do not want to meet death incomplete. And I do not want to meet God incomplete. Because the Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. Judgment is coming. I love the words... Ye are complete in Him for the day of judgment. Mortality itself, your sure death, is proof of incomplete readiness for this life and for the next one. You can't even sustain yourself in this life because you are incomplete. God can't have dying things in heaven. You're incomplete. But in Christ, we are complete. In Christ, I am complete. You are incomplete, imperfect, deficient, lacking, needing, wanting for life and for eternity. You are a mess by any real or spiritual measure, deserving God's rejection forever. No person on earth, no matter how accomplished or arrogant, is more than nothing. You are too weak. Have you ever tried something and found you were too weak? You are too weak, too dumb, too short, too wide, too ugly, too stupid, and so forth. You have health problems right now that are out of your sight and doctor's wisdom that you don't even know about because you are so incomplete. You have emotional, social, psychological problems that you cannot overcome because you're incomplete. The most fit person in this assembly would look like a quadriplegic if he was among high school decathletes. You have no worth. You have no wisdom. You have no power. You have no helpers. In the best case, you will take your last shallow breath in a sickbed in just a few days from now. In another case, your horseless carriage will hit another one on the way home and snuff your life out. No one really cares about you because there is no return or value for caring for you. There is nothing you can do about your future because other forces are in full play that totally dominate your future. You arrive knowing nothing. You will leave knowing nothing. And right now, you know nothing. You are a worthless, vile, condemned criminal 
before the tribunal of a holy, just God, and you must die and meet him. Look at Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8 with me. Revelation 21 and verse 8 to remind us of the people, the kind of people that are in hell right now. The lake of fire is filled with shrieking, tormented souls better than you. Revelation 21 and verse 8 describes who is killed for the second death and sent to the eternal lake of fire. But the fearful, Revelation 21, 8, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. These people are incomplete. They have sins laid to their charge that sink them down into the pit of hell. And you are guilty of these sins. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire and the second death. And these other sins as well. Have you ever been an unbeliever? Have you ever been fearful? Has your faith been overthrown or shaken? We find ourselves very incomplete. Look at Romans chapter 3 with me. Romans chapter 3. You are complete in Christ. Today is not a bad day. Today is not a negative day. Today is a positive day. But you can only appreciate the positive nature of Luke 23, 43 by reading Luke 23, 42 and 41 and 40. We are justly condemned. He has done nothing amiss. We are getting what we deserve. And so you've got to realize that, that when we meet God, we are incomplete. We are ruined. There is no hope. And everything that I have said that grates on you, that sounds so critical and negative, is because outside of Christ you have nothing to offer God. Except your sins, which will sink you into hell. Romans 3, 10 through 12, you have no righteousness, understanding, or goodness. You are incomplete. Romans 3, 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. We are incomplete. And the Bible indicts us as being incomplete and deserving of God's wrath. It couldn't be said any plainer than that. You're not righteous. There's not a single righteous man, verse 10. You don't understand. You don't seek God. You've gone your own way, away from His way. We've together become unprofitable in the sight of God. There's not a single one that does good. We're incomplete. Verse 18 says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Do you know that the man on the cross was already well ahead of you? And the rest of humanity, because there is no fear of God before their eyes. Yet he said, Dost thou not fear God? Because he did. Something had changed him. And I pray something has changed each one of you so that I can say to you, because you believe on him, you're complete in him. And that you should say, I am complete in him. I am complete in him. You can't add to that completeness. It's complete. 
It's impossible to add to completeness. It's impossible to add to perfection. He's made you perfect. He's made you complete. How much more time should I spend on telling you that you're in a damnable condition? I have lots. Because the Bible spends much time on it. Look at 5, 6 of Romans. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Notice, you are an ungodly person and you have no strength. You cannot help yourself. You cannot complete yourself. You cannot cover your sins. You cannot fulfill the requirements of God's law. You cannot wash away your sins. You're without strength. You're incomplete. You say, well, I'm strong physically. Let me say it again for those of you that pride yourselves on physical conditioning. You would look like a quadriplegic in the opinion of everyone, including yourself, if you were among a group of high school decathletes. Because you are entirely incapable of doing the combination of events that they do. Deca means 10. And that is 10 events. And you say, well, I could run the 1500 at the end. Yes. And they'll let you run that 1500 maybe at the end by yourself because you would be unable to even perform the other tasks. I would love to see some of you try to, a pole vault. A pole vault. You know, to hand you a 16-foot pole and see what you're able to do with it. Other than impale yourself. The only reason I mention that is just for a little change of pace and for you to realize you're incomplete in every way. Why aren't you the CEO of your company? Because you're incomplete. You say, I wouldn't want the job. Well, that's a nice excuse for your incompleteness. You're incomplete. If we were to all take a tour of your house right now and garage and trunks, would you be incomplete? That your house is not completely clean? But we're complete in Christ. Every other way we look at ourselves, we're incomplete, but we're complete in Christ. Look at chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Let's just stay in Romans for just a minute here. Verse 18, I know. This is Paul. This is our brother Paul. He's better than us. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Does that sound very complete? That sounds terribly incomplete. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not, because I'm so incomplete when it comes to fulfilling God's law. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. I am completely evil, but I am not completely righteous in my flesh. I cannot find good in my flesh, but that stuff I hate, those things I hate, those acts I hate, I end up doing. Because we're so incomplete. Somebody better intervene on our behalf and make us complete. And I tell you about him today. He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Because ye are complete in him. Look at chapter 8 and verse 7. Because the carnal... Ah, let's get verse 6. 
For to be carnally minded is death. That's your future. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You're totally incapable of being spiritually minded without His grace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You are so incomplete, you cannot please God. You can't even be subject to the law of God. You can't do it. You're an enmity against God. You are a rebel enemy. And God doesn't like rebel enemies. That's Romans 8 for us. Look at, flip back to Romans chapter 5. Why did God give Moses the law? Why did Moses come down from Mount Sinai with the law? Yes, there's Ten Commandments, but those Ten Commandments simply summarize about 700 more commandments that are contained within them or around them as ceremonial commandments. In Romans 5.20, Moreover, the law entered. Adam was dealt with in verses 12 through 19. Adam. And then 2,000 years later, 2,500 years later, we have Moses. Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound. God sent the law to show us what sinners we are. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But in ourselves, sin abounds. Sin just runs over the top. There's more sin than we can keep contained because of the law of God. He gave us laws, we just break them. Because we're rebels against God. If he says to do it this way, we want to do it that way. If he were to change in a dispensation and say, okay, go ahead and do it that way, we'll do it in another way. You know, when he overlooked polygamy, it takes our nation to come up with same-sex marriages. Think on it. Please think on it. When you read in the newspaper, why isn't polygamy allowed in America? but same-sex marriages are allowed in America, and transgendering nonsense of all kinds, abominable perversions allowed in America. We twist everything that we possibly can because we're so incomplete in understanding knowledge, righteousness, and virtue. Okay, let's look at this chapter of Colossians chapter 2. You're in a damnable condition. You're in a terrible predicament. You are very incomplete by every measure. You're terrified when you get a text or however your office conveys information for you to see the president or for you to see your boss's boss, you get terrified. You're going to meet the Lord. You're worried about being, I, won't, I, I don't know what to say. What if they ask me questions in that meeting that I won't know how to answer? Wait till you meet the Most High. Let me show you. Before Colossians, come back to Matthew 22. Come back to Matthew chapter 22. One, one more verse about the problem. And the problem is how incomplete you are outside of Christ. Matthew 22. Verses 1 through 7. Are the gospel being offered to the Jews and the Jews rejecting it? And the kingdom of Jesus Christ, so the king, in verse 7, sent forth his armies and those of the Roman armies and destroyed those murderers 
who killed his prophets, apostles, and son and burned up their city. Verses 8 through 14 are the gospel being taken from the Jews and given to the Gentiles. Then saith he to his servants, in verse 8, the wedding is ready. This is simply a word picture of a feast and a wedding feast to describe the beauty and glory of the gospel and heaven in Jesus Christ. The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. The Jews were not worthy. They killed my prophets, apostles, and my son. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, that is the Gentiles, the highways of this earth, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and those of the apostles, especially Paul, who went to the Gentiles, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called by the gospel and embrace it and are baptized and join churches, but few are called. Are you one of these? God is going to ask in time and eternity, where is your wedding garment? And you, knowing your incompleteness, will be speechless. That is your predicament. That is my predicament. That's a terrible predicament. That's a damnable condition. To not have a wedding garment and to have God coming down the aisle inspecting clothing. To stand before the tribunal of Jesus Christ and to find out that you are incomplete. And in ourselves we are incomplete and we do not have on a wedding garment. But in Him we are clothed with the fine linen of saints which is the righteousness of those saints through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are complete in Him, but in Him only. Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Come back to Colossians chapter 2. We can cure speech impediments in Colossians chapter 2. Because the answer should be, I am complete in Him. I am complete in Him. Look to your Son. I am complete in Him. Amen. Yes. The chapter of Colossians chapter 2 is in three parts. The first nine verses teach the importance of the apostolic foundation of crucial, glorious truth about Jesus himself against heretics. Verses 1 through 9 are the apostolic foundation of true doctrine about Jesus Christ personally, himself. Verses 10 through 15 that contains our text in verse 10 is the completeness and certainty of eternal salvation 
through Jesus Christ. Verses 16 through 23, the last third, has further specific warnings against Jewish and other legalists undermining faith and eternal life. We are complete in Him because of verses 1 through 9 and what they say about who He is. We are complete in Him because of who He is. Verses 10 through 15, we are complete in Him because of what He has done. We are complete in Him in verses 16 through 23 because of why lying legalists are frauds. Verses 1 through 9 are plainly the identity of Jesus Christ, concluding with the statement, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him. It's who He is. And then 10 through 15, we're complete in Him because of what He has done. And 16 through 23 are why those legalists are liars. The greatest enemies of the gospel Paul faced were Jewish legalists teaching conditions for eternal life. A large part of Paul's writings, a large part of Paul's preaching were against Jewish legalists. He despised them, he ridiculed them, and he wished they were dead. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. Our quizzers, our Bible quizzers, have learned the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, it says in verse 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Paul is mocking Jewish legalists. He is referring to them as dogs. He refers to them as evil workers. And he refers, refers to them as body mutilators. Concision with cuttings. He's mocking the Jewish rite of circumcision. Circumcision is cut in a circle. Or there's just cuttings, the concision, and he mocks them. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 12, and our quizzers will be learning this chapter soon, Paul wished they were dead. Galatians 5, 12, I would, they were even cut off, which trouble you. Those legalist preachers, those false teachers that deny the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work, I wish they were cut off. Turn, come back to the beginning of that chapter of Galatians 5. Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. The false teachers coming out of Jerusalem and trying to follow Paul wherever he went were teaching that they had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Jesus didn't say either of those two things to the man on the cross, did he? For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. If you're going to take out circumcision and make it important for eternal life, then you're saying the law is important and you better keep the whole thing. All 718 commandments of it. Verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. There were Jewish legalists then in love with Adam's, Abraham's genealogy and Moses' law. Today they are Roman Catholics, laying down all their sacramental and sacra sacraments and sacramentals for you to keep. There's a Seventh-day Adventist, 
and all their inventions and rabid Arminians of the things you need to do, must do. I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang around with those that do. See, that would be an independent Baptist. Thinking that all those that touch and taste and drink are going to perish with the using. No, they're not. Paul made significant warnings. Look at Colossians chapter 2 with me. We're, we're at Galatians. Let's flip back to Colossians chapter 2. Paul had to warn over and over. In verse 1, he called it a conflict. He's at war with false teachers. And he says it in verse 1. In verse 4, he was worried that they would be beguiled or seduced or tricked with enticing words. In verse 8, he says, Beware of philosophy and vain deceit. Beware of the tradition of men and the rudiments of the world. In verse 16, he said, Don't let anyone judge you. In verse 18, he said, Don't let anyone beguile you. In verse 20, he said, Why in the world are you letting the rudiments of the world back into your religion? In verse 22, he says, there, There's commandments and doctrines of men that you should leave behind. And verse 23, he points out doctrines that God does not approve. Okay, there's the chapter. There's Colossians 2 in its three parts. The first part, who he is. The second part, what he did. The third part, why they're liars. Because you're complete in him. You're complete in him because of who he is. You're complete in him because of what he's done. And you're complete in him because everyone that says you're incomplete is a liar. Let's look at that preceding context just a little bit more. The first nine verses of Colossians 2. There's a war going on. I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. In verse 1, ministers have a conflict for souls. They are at war to save you from errors. There's a war going on. Sometimes you may not appreciate it. Sometimes you may not have encountered it. Sometimes you may not know what the pastor's driving at in a particular sermon or a sermon series, but there's a war going on, and he's aware of the war. And he's trying to fight the war like Paul did before us. That, this is the preceding context. Verse 2, ministers have one chief goal, for you to know the Son of God perfectly. If you look at all the words of verse 2, and I'm not going to read them to you right now, but I hope that you're looking at the page and listening to my voice, it is the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. It is absolutely important for you to understand the Trinity of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and His relationship to Almighty God. And that He is not just a part of the Trinity, but He is the only begotten Son of God, a perfect Savior for us. But that is a goal of ministers, and it's there in verse 2. Verse 3 tells us Jesus Christ has all wisdom and knowledge to create, destroy, and save you. Verse 4, ministers are at war against false teachers that have fine sermons to destroy your faith. Verse 5, ministers rejoice to see orderly Christians unmoved in their confidence in Christ. I am with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Verse 6, apostolic doctrine is the only doctrine that works or counts. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. There's one of those English as so statements 
We want to hold to apostolic faith and order. We don't care what any seminary says anywhere or any seminarian says anywhere. It's what the apostles said. Verse 7, the foundation of apostolic doctrine secures us, builds us, and is thankworthy. I can't preach the whole chapter before 6 o'clock tonight. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, there's the apostolic doctrine from the apostles, abounding therein with thanksgiving. We should be thankful for the truth this church has, because as far as we know, it is apostolic truth. And so we should abound in thanksgiving. And we heard some of that on Wednesday evening. Verse 9, the antidote to false teaching is to remember the true identity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the fullness of the Godhead and has a human nature. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. Our Savior is the full Trinity in a body represented by the Word of God, the living Word of God, with a human nature. He is altogether a perfect mediator for us. He is God. He is us. He is the God-man. And it's in that, the who, of God, the Father, and of Christ, that we are complete. Do you understand who you have on your side? Do you, do you understand who you are in? The fullness of the Godhead. When we, when we study knowing God, and look at all those attributes, and the Lord was merciful to us. The Lord was merciful to us in that sermon series. I'm telling you, He was merciful to us. When we look at all those attributes of the nature of God, they're all in Jesus Christ. When we think about how we're tempted and tried, and how weak and pitiful we are, He was tempted in all points like as we are, the Bible tells us. In Hebrews chapter 4, he's a perfect Savior. And so you're, you're complete in him because of who he is. That's, that's verses 1 through 9. We're complete in him in the Christ of context because he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There is no better perfect person for us to be in. The fullness of God and having our nature. Wow! Thank you, Lord! Amen. We better be abounding in thanksgiving for it. There is no limit to his power, for he is fully God. Think about all his attributes. There is no limit to his grace and intercession. He was and is fully man, so think of his priesthood for us. There are riches to be gained by full assurance of understanding God, the Father, and Christ, and that relationship they have. We must acknowledge the mystery of the Godhead in Christ to practically benefit from it. The Lord is on my side. What does it mean to say the Lord? The fullness of the Godhead plus my nature. He knows what I go through every day. He's God's son. He's my lover. I'm complete. Right. Nothing can happen to me because the first nine verses are who. I am complete in him because of who he is. The following context, verses 16 through 23. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, complete salvation in Christ destroys Jewish legalists and all their heresies. Let no man therefore judge you. Don't let anyone tell you you've got to do this, you've got to do that in order to be saved. 
And he goes through a list that includes the Roman Catholics, modern Messianic Jews, and a Seventh-day Adventist. And the worldwide Church of God, who want to keep all the commandments of the Old Testament. The complete salvation in Christ of verse 10. Verse 10 is, ye are complete in Him. Verse 16 tells us that these false teachers, don't let them tell you you've got to do anything. He's done it for you. Verse 17, all the Old Testament ceremonial junk of Moses was simply to point to Jesus. When it says, which are a shadow of things to come, that's not things to come for you. That's things to come for Moses. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. We're all about Christ. Everything they were doing was just pointing to what we have. We are complete in Him. They were not. They were not. Go try the last two verses of Hebrews 11 sometime, verses 39 and 40, and find out that they without us, and they without what came upon us in the New Testament are not made perfect. Because that which is perfect is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He came for us. And we live on this side of the cross. Verse 18. These arrogant impostors pretend to love truth while corrupting true faith. They try to beguile you out of your reward of eternal life without conditions, talking about all kinds of ridiculous things like the worship of saints or angels, intruding into stuff they don't understand, vainly puffed up by their seminary degrees. Don't listen to them. They're liars. They're trying to beguile you out of an unconditional eternal life. Verse 19, Christ must be preeminent at all times for a church to grow and prosper. These false teachers, they hold their seminary degrees highest. They hold themselves highest. But we want to hold the head, which is Jesus Christ, who is the head of all principalities and powers. We want to hold the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. That's how a church grows, by put, focusing on Jesus Christ and nothing else. And this verse sounds so much like Ephesians 4.16, which is why I told you Ephesians and Colossians are fraternal twins. If you're going to read one, read the other as well. Then verse 20. Since eternal life is unconditionally sure, why allow worldly rules to get in? Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ, if, if, we're, if we were baptized to show that we are dead with Christ and our salvation is finished, why in the world are you allowing rudiments of the world? That's rudimentary, elementary, infantile religion of Moses. That's what it is. That's why it's called in the Bible beggarly, carnal, worldly, earthly ordinances of Moses' religion. They didn't do anyone any good except ceremonial cleanliness. Ceremonial cleanness means, I won't burn you up with fire today. But it never made the conscience as having the sins forgiven for anyone in the Old Testament by those ceremonial laws. Because that's what Hebrews 9 and 10 teach very clearly. They never had their sins washed away because they had to do the same sacrifice next month or next year that brought those sins back to memory. Verse 20. Wherefore, if you're Christians and, and you're complete in Christ, why are you starting to add back in some ridiculous things like being vegans or worshiping on Saturday? 
with the Seventh-day Adventists. Why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Of course there's ordinances, but those ordinances don't steal from us our reward. Those ordinances are just how he wants to be worshipped, not how to get to heaven. When we worship on Sunday like we are right now, the Seventh-day Adventists say and teach everywhere that we have taken the mark of the beast. And we're on our way to hell in that passage I read to you last Lord's Day. That is how far they take their ignorance of the Bible. And the Apostle Paul is warning against them. Verse 21, touch not, taste not, handle not. Those are independent Baptists and the former Bob Jones University, which has changed greatly in the last couple decades. That is, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang around with those that do. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Remember, you can't eat meat if you're a Seventh-day Adventist. Can't eat pork. Can't have a pepperoni pizza if you're a Seventh-day Adventist. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using. I want you to understand that the issue at stake is eternal life. Eternal life, which will perish if you do those things. But you're complete in Him. You can't perish. It really doesn't matter what you eat or touch. I'm not talking about sin. I hope you're with me. But to try to say that if you touch that or you eat that or you drink that or taste that, you're going to go to hell is totally wrong because you're complete in Him. I hope you see the whole chapter just fitting together like a hand in a glove. And the central point is, is sort of like one of the lights at GSP, Greenville Spartanburg Airport. You know, if you look at it, you're blinded because it's so beautiful and powerful. And those words are, ye are complete in him. The whole chapter is around, ye are complete in him. Verse 22, after the commandments and doctrines of men. See, for men to have you under their thumb, they've got to come up with rules like sacraments to control you. And if they can attach eternal life to it, you'll do anything. You'll have your children strap a bomb under their clothes and wander into a restaurant. You know, thinking of Muslims. They want to get you under their thumb. The doctrines and commandments of men. But you know what I'm teaching you? The opposite today. You're complete in Him. Nobody can tell you anything. Because He's done it all for you. They, they can't add rules to you. If you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. If you commit a mortal sin, you know you're going to go to hell. I'm complete in Him. Verse 23, which things? This worship of self-denial by ascetics, by Seventh-day Adventists, follow with me, by priests, by nuns, by monks. Think about them. Think about them wearing their brown robes and wandering around with their head down, shuffling their little feet and holding their little hands together. Let me see. Here's what the Bible has to say about it. Which things... The clothes they wear and the way they act have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship. Yep, they know how to worship their will of self-denial, that they're not going to have this, and they're not going to have that. They're not going to eat meat on Fridays. They're going to settle for those ugly fish sticks served with a public school system on Fridays. They're not, they're, they're not going to have a spouse. They're not going to have any money. They're not going to have anything. They're not going to be able to have pepperoni pizza because they're Seventh-day Adventists. 
It's a show of wisdom and will worship that we're, we're in self-denial. We're not going to have bacon and eggs for breakfast. Okay, Lord, I won't say what I'm thinking of saying about the Seventh-day Adventists and their porn flakes. No, it was a lot worse than that. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship? I won't eat bacon and eggs at breakfast. We're going to have pieces of bark cut off a tree with milk over it that no one had ever dreamed of doing before 1900. And humility. We're so humble and we neglect the body. It's a show of neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. God wants us to honor our bodies by doing pleasant things with them. God said through Paul to Timothy, the Lord hath given us richly all things to enjoy. And even in the Old Testament, he wanted them to have celebrations where they had anything their heart lusted after and to eat it with their families. We, We are supposed to honor to the satisfying of our flesh, giving it enough sleep, giving it enough food, not constant fasting. That's a Roman Catholic concept. Feasting. The feasts of charity were in the New Testament, not the fasts of charity in Jude chapter 1 and verse 12. Coming back to chapter 2 and verse 10. There are no laws to keep for eternal life and no sins to commit to cause you to perish is what 16 through 23 are teaching. The following context. Moses' damning laws were nailed to the cross. Jesus fulfilled the worst curse of the law by dying and hanging on a tree for us. Rather than the vain rite of Jewish circumcision, circumcision, Jesus was cut off for us legally. Rather than keeping our sins and our sinful flesh, we were circumcised by regeneration. We mocked the touch not, taste not, handle not heretics for their lying false religion. Colossians 2, verse 11. Let's look at our middle section now. I have shown you section 1, verses 1 through 9. You are complete in Him because of who He is. Verses 16 through 23. You are complete in Him because they are lying frauds that want to beguile you of your unconditional eternal life reward in Christ. And now let's look at this middle section for what he's done for us. Ye are complete in him, is verse 10. In verse 11, and I am going to summarize much material. Verse 11, and I'll read this because it's our section. In whom, that is in Christ, from verse 10. In whom also, that means there's another angle on it. The angle in verse 10 is that the one that we are in is the head of all principality and power. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You say, why does Paul bring up circumcision here? Because he's making fun of it. That is why he brought it up here. He brought up circumcision that doesn't require hands, and I don't know of any male in this assembly that would want their circumcision to be made without hands. And a skillful hand at that. Boy, maybe none of you know what it is. I'll send you in a Tuesday update some pictures. Verse 11, In whom also ye are cut in a circle, 
with the circle cutting made without hands. So it is a spiritual, metaphorical, figurative cutting off of something. And we're told the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Christ was cut off, which cut our sins off. And this verse is legal. This 11th verse of Colossians chapter 2 is our legal sins being cut off so that they can't be laid to our charge because Jesus was cut off. Does the, did you read in Isaiah 53 last night? He was cut off out of the land of the living. He was cut off. He was circumcised. This is Jesus being the objective genitive object of the circumcision. Him being cut off on the cross of Calvary when he died for us. And he made an end of sins by cutting our sins off us so that they are legally no longer apply to us. And so Paul mocks their circumcision by a circumcision made without hands. Presbyterians love this verse because the next verse has a B word in it. And they say that this is Moses' circumcision in verse 11 and it is baptism in verse 12. And circumcision got all children into the covenant of salvation in the Old Testament and baptism gets them into the covenant of salvation in the New Testament. But there isn't any circumcision in verse 11. It is a spiritual metaphorical cutting off. There's no Moses in verse 11. Now listen to me. Men will come along seeking to beguile you with philosophy and the tradition of men. And I just gave you another one of them. Presbyterians. And their ridiculous covenant salvation and their ridiculous ideas on baptism being equivalent and equal to circumcision. Well, then why do we baptize girls? I mean, we could just make fun of them, but we don't need to. They've made fun of themselves by being so ridiculous in the Word of God and coming up with something just to keep their ties to Rome. There's only one reason Presbyterians use infant baptism, because they dare not turn against their mother church. Verse 11, the circumcision of Christ is cutting off our sins by his death cutting him off. Verse 12, water baptism is how we declare our faith in Christ's death and resurrection. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also, we're not just buried with him, that also means there is something else involved in baptism. Ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Because we believe, if we believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I read to you from Romans chapter 10. How do we show that we believe that God hath raised him from the dead? By being baptized in the picture of his burial and his resurrection. Don't ever forget that when you've got 2.12 here with a burial and a resurrection and being raised in him, you can flip over to chapter 3 and verse 1 and know what it means. Chapter 3 and verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ. Well, the Colossians weren't risen and Paul wasn't risen except in the risen of 2.12, which is baptism. If you're baptized, then live like it. Is what 3.1 is saying. Verse 13. Based on their sins being forgiven, Jesus quickened them by regeneration. God quickened them through his son and his life-giving voice. Verse 13, you being dead in your sins, just like Ephesians 2.1, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's the nature of it, 
not the body of the sins, that is back in verse 11, I'm sorry for the brevity, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. The forgiveness of all trespasses is verse 11, and because you're forgiven all the trespasses legally, you are renovated, regenerated in your nature by quickening, by coming to life. And so that's described there, and it's described as a circumcision. It's described because you are uncircumcised in your flesh, because there's no good thing in it. All it produces is more sin. Verse 14, he forgave us by removing all Moses' condemning legal claims against us. Jesus blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us so that God could forgive us all our sins. In verse 13, he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Thou shalt not bear false witness, which you have done. Thou shalt not commit adultery, which you have done. There's multiple ways to do it. Thou shalt not kill, which you have done. Being angry with your brother without a cause is a violation of the sixth commandment. We're all guilty, but when we come to verse 15, we can find out how we're completing him because of what he has done. Because what he did was, verse 14 I mean, he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. There was God's handwriting in stone. There was Moses' handwriting for the law that he wrote of the first five books of the Bible. But it's blotted out that was against us. All the promises for us are left there. But everything that was against us, blotted out. And it was contrary to us. Because it said, He that doeth these things shall live by them. And we can't do it. So it was contrary to us. He took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. The imagery and the choice of words of the Holy Ghost. Jesus didn't have a hammer in his hand, nor did he drive a nail into the cross. But the picture of the cross and the, and the accomplishment and the purpose of the cross was to nail our sins against those commandments to the cross and take them out of the way. They are completely fulfilled. That's why we are complete in him. Amen. There's much more that could be said about each of those verses. Verse 15, Jesus defeated and triumphed over the devil and all his claims against you. Look at this book itself. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Amen. Colossians 1.13. Words on a page do not help translate themselves. They do not assist a translator. A translator has power above and beyond and outside the words in order to translate them from one language to another. Enoch did not translate himself from earth to heaven. God translated him. Right. And God, God translated us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son by His mighty power. He delivered us. The power of that darkness held us fast. We were prisoners of the strong man. We were in His palace and we loved being there. But Jesus, according to Colossians 2.15, spoiled. Spoiled. He took some spoil. He beat the devil in war. Jesus said... Now is the hour of darkness. Now is the hour of darkness. The son of the, the devil's coming after me, and he hath nothing in me. A war broke out, but Jesus won the victory. Amen. And he took spoil out of the palace of the strong man by being the stronger man. Amen. And we're the spoil. 
were the spoil. He took us out. And having spoiled principalities and powers where we were held by death, the power of death over us, because the devil got our first parents to break God's commandment and see the devil believes the Bible. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The devil knew that he brought all of us under the condemnation of death by getting our first parents to eat the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus spoiled him by coming to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. We didn't see it. We only know it from the Bible. The rest of the universe, I want you to understand, our little tiny world is only a small part of the universe. There are things going on outside our sight that we cannot see. Jesus made an open show of the devil by defeating death as a man on earth, rising from the dead, ascending up into heaven, and being promoted over the devil, opening up an open war in heaven, and there was war in heaven. And he threw the devil out, and he was cast down to the earth, and he knows what his end is. All that was seen and understood by the principalities and powers. They knew it in advance, and they knew it when it happened. Art thou come to destroy us before the time? You are complete in him. The worst thing that could happen is the devil rise up in the last day. Does he know some of your sins? Have his devils reported to him your sins? Yes. Can he bring them as an accusation against you? No, because he was cast out of heaven in Revelation 12, 10, so that the rejoicing cry went up, the accuser of the brethren is cast down. And Romans 8 says, nothing can be laid to our charge. You are complete in him. Do you know how much God and Paul crammed into verses 10 through 15? So that we get a therefore in verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you because of what Jesus did for you in verses 10 through 15. Verse 11, legal. Verse 12, our practical claim on it, making it our own. 13, vital. 14, legal. 15, spiritual. In a world that we can't see visibly, but we get to read about in the Bible. And so that is what he did for us so that we are complete in him. And, our text, 2.10, And, having lifted up Jesus Christ as high as possible in the first nine verses, Paul added our position in Him. We should have the full riches of the full, we should have all riches of full assurance in verse 2. And this, this glorious body of apostolic doctrine about Jesus Christ concludes with the statement of verse 9. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That is God, the Father, and Christ. God, the eternal, invisible, independent spirit I am that I am, became a father through the womb of the Virgin Mary, and so that holy thing which was born of her shall be called the Son of God, Christ Jesus our Lord. To know that, and to know that God sent His Son and that his son looks like verse 9 describes him, is, is uh, who made us complete. Right. 
We're, we're complete in Him because of who He is. And so we have an and. Starting off our little middle section, and ye are complete in Him. Because He's transitioning from who He is to what He did. I don't know how to preach. I never, I never claimed that I could or wanted to. And ye are complete in Him. Ye. Do you know where Colossae is located? It is located in western Turkey. They were Gentiles. And it is not, and ye shall be. It is, and ye are. The plural present tense of being. And ye are complete in Him. When God looks at Him, He sees us. When God looks for us, He must find Christ to find us. Because we are in Him. We are so complete in Him that the Holy Spirit chose to use a rather large number of descriptive terms for our salvation. The word salvation is rather weak itself. We know what it includes, but it's weak itself. To be saved is to be delivered from something. It's kind of vague. So the Holy Spirit gave us facets of salvation which have been preached to you before. Let me just read a list of them to you. To be, to be complete in Him, we are complete in Him as detailed and elaborated by the Holy Spirit in the Bible through the facets of salvation to see the full spectrum of our completeness, which is justification, a legal term, reconciliation, a relational term, atonement, a sacrificial term, intercession, representation, sanctification, redemption, an economic term, propitiation, purchased, bought, ransom, forgiven, satisfaction, pardon, mediation, acceptation, imputation, and adoption. we got to work all the way up to the top one. We must put adoption at the top because justification is, is, is low compared to adoption. To be justified is to be, declared, to, to, be, to be declared innocent of charges against us, or even if we take it in the Bible sense, to be declared with Jesus Christ's righteousness, but that doesn't make us His sons. Right. And when we look at all those terms, why don't you feel complete in Him this morning? Who has sold you a lie that you're not complete in Him? He's reconciled you. He's justified you. He's adopted you. He's done everything for you. Amen. He's mediated for you. He's interceding for you right now. He's made an atonement for you, which is already complete, that God is at one with us. Praise His great and glorious name. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 22 of chapter 1, and with this I'll close for right now. Colossians 1, 20. i got to back up to, to 21 to get the full clause, compound clause that we have here. Colossians 1.21, And you, number 2.10, And ye are complete in Him. These Gentile believers at Colossae, Asia. And you, Gentile believers at Colossae, Asia. Colossians 1.21, And you, that were sometime alienated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works. 
That's the damnable condition that we were in. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Amen. Ye are complete in him if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. If we continue, it is the evidence that we are true believers in Jesus Christ. And as true believers in Jesus Christ, he will present us and has done so to God, holy and unblameable and unreprovable. And he's accomplished that by the body of his flesh through death on the cross. And though we were alienated and enemies by wicked works, he's reconciled us and we are complete in him. Amen. Much more should be said much more might be said, we will trust what happens the rest of today. Mm -hmm. Because I have, I have 60 blessings of being in Him that I haven't got to yet. And ye are complete in Him, Amen. which is the head of all principality and power. It's so beautiful. Amen. Second half, those lying fraud deceivers, they enter into the worship of angels. Why? Our Jesus is the head of all principality and power. Why would you worship an angel when you can worship the head? Amen. And the head, we're in the head. We're complete in him. Anybody ready to die? Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I am complete in your son. Look to your son for me. Wow. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.